Well, thank you for your worship in the Word and uh, in song, and now we're going to worship uh, in the Word. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, and we're going to look all the way to the end of verse 34. Um, I did something this past week that I haven't done in probably 17 or 18 years. Uh, in fact, I really don't even remember the last time uh, that I ever did this. And this past week, for the first time in over 18 years, I bought an alarm clock. This millennial up here before you has never had a need for an alarm clock at any given time. And the reason that is, is because I've always had my iPhone. And my iPhone has always been my alarm clock. Haley and I have been wrestling with some things uh, in, in our home, and specifically the use of technology and uh, being controlled in some ways by our phones and like habits and rhythms and patterns. And so uh, we made the decision this week that uh, we were going to start charging our phones in another room when we went to bed to separate from like the endless sort of mindless, you know, scrolling that, that you find yourself, you know, two hours down the road and uh, there you are. And so I bought the alarm clock. It came in yesterday and yesterday afternoon I tried to program it, got it all set up, set the time, and then we went about our business, went to bed uh, last night. Now on Sunday mornings, for the past 17 or 18 years, I have always start, I never sleep well. I always start stirring about 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And a normal Sunday morning for me is to get up about 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And I'll get up because I can't sleep. And I come up to the church and I pray and I'm just with the Lord. Well, daylight savings time happened today, if you didn't know this. And, um, and so this morning um, at about 3 o'clock, um, I, I, I left the house actually about 2.30 and um, and got to my office, my study, and was going about my business, and uh, noticed that my wife uh, sent me a text at about 3 a.m., which my wife doesn't get up at 3 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You see, at 3 a.m., because this guy forgot about daylight savings time, and the clock that I had didn't automatically reset to what I needed it to reset, and I left the house at about 2.30, my wife woke up to a glaring alarm, a ringing, a loud noise where she woke up panicked, franicking, rolled over to get me to solve the problem, but only to find that I had disappeared in the middle of the night. All because I forgot it was daylight savings time and, and, all, and doing all those things and I then created some unwanted anxiety in my wife's own life and worry and, and fear and, and fret. You know, we're no different than the people in Jesus' day that worried and feared about things just like we do. And we can be anxious about all different kinds of things when in our lives. We can be anxious when it comes to money and how we're going to pay bills or, or make a living. We can be anxious about being alone, not having friends or not having uh, someone to be in relationship with. And we can become anxiety-ridden people because of that. We can be anxious about things like the future. And what will happen? Come every election cycle, every season, two to four years, you see a whole bunch of people fretting and, and become full of anxiety. We worry about the future. We worry about things like going to the doctor or control, finding a spouse, losing a spouse, having children, losing children, being a parent, even failing as a parent. Am I doing it the way that it, that it needs to be done. Everyone experiences some level of anxiety. One author put it this way in talking about anxiety. He says, anxiety is a temporary atheism. 
And what he meant by that is that we would suspend oftentimes our belief and our trust in the trustworthiness of God. And we will put that aside and we will become consumed with worry and anxious thoughts and anxious feelings to the point to which it's all that we think about. Several organizations this past year, the Mental Health America, developed a screening tool to test people's level of anxiety. And what they found in 2020 was that anxiety in every age group across the board was higher than it's ever been. And with Gen Z's in particular, it was somewhere between 34 and 35% higher than everybody else. And the question that comes from that is, well, why are we such an anxiety-ridden people? Some of that is just simply because we're always in a constant state of hurry and doing things. We say yes to everything that comes our way out of fear of obligation or fear of disappointing. And so we hurriedly run to the next thing and we never just simply have a time of rest. We never just pause to to think and to be. This morning before the first service, I walked to the back and there's a lady in our church that's been here for a long time named Joanne Morgan that many of you know. And she sits on that back little pew back there and in the stool in the foyer. And I said, Miss Joanne, how are you this morning? What are you doing? And she said, I'm just sitting here thinking. And I said, you know, not a whole lot, there's not a whole lot of people anymore these days that can just sit and just think. No music, no TV on, nothing to distract, just simply being there. Well, Jesus' day and his time, there were a whole bunch of people that struggled with the same thing. And Jesus begins to address the anxiety of the day by addressing a couple of things about how our view of God will oftentimes shape uh, the anxiety that exists within us. And so what I want you to notice in verses 24 and 29 is how anxiety indicates a myopic view of God, a small view of God when we are consumed with anxiety. For Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's reminding his people that as you worry and are full of anxious thoughts and behaviors and coping mechanisms for the pressures that are in your life, Jesus is saying one of the remedies to overcoming and living and walking in freedom from those things is to elevate and to enlarge your view of who God is. To expand it beyond what it currently is and to know God through his word and understanding that and letting that take root in your life, not to be consumed with anxious thoughts or feelings. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. He's not saying that you can't prepare for tomorrow and he's not saying you can't even think about tomorrow. But what he's saying is do not be consumed by tomorrow. Oftentimes we are so such anxious people because we have allowed the tyranny of the urgent rather than the important. The tyranny of the urgent in our life. The thing that we're going to go do next rather than practicing just a faithful presence in the moment where we find ourselves. We do this at places like the dinner table when we're reading newspapers or looking on our phone or we're thinking about the next appointment. 
Or when we're talking face-to-face with someone and we're looking past them or avoiding eye contact or checking our watches and not being a faithful presence to the person that God has put in front of us. You know, Jesus was never in a hurry when you study the Gospels. There was never such a thing as an interruption to Jesus. Even in the face of death, there are moments in Jesus' life as he goes to help people who are close to death and he gets interrupted along the way to hear the needs and to meet the needs of other people. And what Jesus was doing in that moment is he wasn't letting the things that were most urgent take the place of the things that are most important. Importance and urgency are not the same thing. And in order to deal with the anxiousness that exists within our lives, we need to be able to delineate the things that are most important and ask ourselves, what are the things that God would have me say, this is the most important, rather than running to the most urgent thing that is right before us. It's understanding that I'm going to live my life on the mission that God has given me and that God has showed me. Jesus goes on and and he says that that in this anxiety, it indicates this very small view of God. But I want to remind you of a quote that I've shared with you before by Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, where Charles says this, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. In other words, what Spurgeon understood as he reflects that word that Jesus gives is that you living in a constant state of worry and in an anxious presence before other people, always rushing about to do the next thing and worrying about what it is that's going to happen, it's not going to rid tomorrow of trouble. And it's not going to stop tomorrow from being difficult, but rather what it's going to do is just rob you of this moment and of presence and rob you from joy and being full of the Spirit. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is to not be anxious about tomorrow, but instead to be fully present today. Verse 26, Jesus goes on and he illustrates This idea how not only anxiety indicates a small view of God, but it diminishes how much God cares for me. If you look at verse 26, he says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The birds are are sort of a peculiar way to illustrate Jesus' point. These birds don't collect and store up for winter, but they go and they find their daily bread that day as they go to to forage and to look. And yet every day God provides for the small birds and the big birds. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is as he cares for those small animals, how much more would he care for someone made in his image, set apart for his kingdom, for his glory, for his namesake, so that you would do the works that he had prepared for you in advance. How much more does he care for you? Yet when we are riddled with anxiety, it diminishes the care and the concern and the love and the compassion that God would have for his people. But I want you to notice as we keep reading in verse 27, as he ends with saying, are you not of more value than they And then he goes on and he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? In other words, what good does the worry get you? What good does the anxious thought, the anxious posture, the anxious rhythm, what good does it give you? 
the only good it does for you, it's not a good or the thing that it does for you is harm you. You guys are familiar with uh, Dr. Mayo in the Mayo Clinic. He was a famous physician that began to link the idea of, of our mental welfare and physical welfare and how those two things were intertwined. And recently, or not too long ago, I came across uh, this study where Dr. Mayo was pointing out that 75% of, of all doctor visits have some correlation to stress or anxiety. That somewhere in the midst of that, even physical conditions are, are determined sometimes by the stress and anxiety that live and exist within our life, the rhythm of anxiety. And Dr. Mayo says this. He says, worry and anxious thoughts affects the circulation. It affects your heart. It affects your glands and, and your hormones. It affects your whole nervous system. Though I have never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot who died of worry. And we're consumed by it. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Paul echoes this similar sentiment that Jesus states, and he writes to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians 4, 6, Paul echoes what Jesus says, and he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. And the way to combat your anxiousness and your worry, Paul says that we then go to the Lord, to the Father, in prayer and with supplication and with thanksgiving, and we let him know our requests. We let him know, and we say them, even though he already knows, but we say them out loud to him. And then the reward for that is verse 7, his peace, which surpasses all understanding, it will minimize your worry. It expands your view of God. It shows that you're trusting in God and then God gives you his perfect peace in your life. And he deals with your anxiety. And he deals with your mental health. He deals with your focus. Why? Because verse 32 goes on and he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. They're the ones riddled with worry. They're the ones that are riddled with this rhythm of, of busyness and overbearing. They're the ones, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Can I say to you this morning that perhaps one of our most important forms of evangelism and practicing an evangelistic presence in somebody's life is to have a non-anxious spirit in front of the world that they can panic and they can be alarmed because they don't have the same God that we have on our side. They don't have the Lord of hosts, the bondage breaker, the way maker. He's not on their side, but he's on ours. And if that makes any difference in our lives, we are set apart from the world by our anxious spirit being controlled by the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And as the world runs to these anxious rhythms who seek after these things, our attention will be given elsewhere. Did you know that attention is the beginning of devotion? What you pay attention to and what you focus on is where your heart is devoted. And it's what your heart longs to. And so you can find a really quick way to identify what it is that you are most devoted to by what most captivates your attention. We become what it is that we look at and that we pay attention to. In this case, Jesus says the pagans of the world, the lost people of this world, they are seeking all of these other things and therefore they become anxiety-ridden people. And Jesus is saying that the people of God need to act and respond a little bit different and that we need to take our attention and give it to something that is more worthy. What you give your attention to is what you are devoted to. Friend, this morning I gently ask you, what have you been giving your attention to? What are you devoted to this morning? Jesus goes on and he says in verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient the day is its own trouble. Can I tell you today that no matter how much you worry and are full of anxiety, tomorrow is going to have its own trouble? Can I guarantee you today that there will be trouble tomorrow? In fact, I believe that so much, and I need you to believe that this morning. I want you to look to the person on your right or left and say, tomorrow there will be trouble. Go ahead. Look to the other person on your other side. Say it to them, the invisible person sitting in the aisle. Tell them they need to hear it. Tomorrow there will be trouble. The answer and the cure for the worry and the anxiousness in our life is not to focus on the things that worry us and bother us. Jesus says the answer in response to our anxious thoughts is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That the answer first and foremost it's found in his name and, and in his kingdom and in his word as we rightfully go to display his righteousness to our city and to the nations and to the uttermost parts of the world. It is to practice being in the presence of God faithfully and regularly and giving our attention to those things faithfully and regularly. You know that I have uh, five wonderful kids, all of different ages and every one of my kids, when they were younger, three to four and five years old, they were confident in so many different ways. And when, when it was daytime and we we're playing in the house, uh, there was no insecurity. There was no anxiousness. There was none of that. It was confidence. It was fun. It was loud. It was messy. There were great memories that were made. But every once in a while, late at night, in the midst of the darkness, Every once in a while, when the, when the rain or the thunder would come in or we'd hear noises somewhere, they'd get scared. And they'd become anxious. And they'd become alarmed. And so either Haley or I, they, either they would come to us if we knew or if we heard them, we would go to them. And here's how we dealt with their anxiousness. We would just grab them and, and put them in our laps. <coughs> 
and we grab them and, and we hold them. And we do everything we could to make them feel secure and, and comforted and, and at home. And, and we tell them things like, uh, it's, it's okay and, and you're safe and, and, and none of that stuff is coming in here and, and just rest for a moment. And you would just speak truth into them and comfort them and be a presence for them. All the while not portraying any anxiety, not portraying any fear. And, and how much further and greater is the implication of when we are experiencing worry and doubt and anxiety that isn't this the picture that we come and we just sit in the presence of Jesus with our Heavenly Father, with His Word coming alongside, and we just say, God, would you comfort me? As I come to you, would you receive me and would you speak truth into my life and remind me of who I am? in light of who you are, made in your image, that I'm worthy because you have made me worthy. I'm redeemed because you are the one that has redeemed me, that I've been reconciled in my sins because you are the one who has done the reconciliation. And I would find his perfect peace. Just like my kids for all those years found his perfect peace in the presence of mom and dad, we find our peace in his presence. Can I tell you this morning that God cares not just about what you think, but God cares about how you feel. And he cares about your worries. I've heard too many pastors and, and preachers that are truth tellers and well-meaning, and I would consider myself a truth teller, but, but to the neglect of the emotional well-being and the emotional health of people to walk in a way that is emotionally mature before God. God cares about your emotions. God is not shocked by your emotions. No matter how messed up your soul may be, God is right there with you today in the midst of the struggle. And the answer to every one of our worries here in this place tonight, in this morning, excuse me, is not a trouble-free life. It's not an invulnerable life or future, but it is with a relationship with a God who controls time, who controls the future, and who controls the trouble. Because, friend, trouble is a coming. It always is. But he always gives us his peace in the midst of the troubling. And so this morning, we want to end in a time of, of prayer for our anxieties, for our fears, that we would believe rightly about God, that he cares for us. We would ask God to grow our view of, of who he is and that he would care for our anxieties and he would care for our doubts and he would meet us precisely where we're at. But today is also uh, a significant day across all of churches. Yes, we celebrate Disciple Now. We want to pray for our teenagers and, and tell them how proud of them we are and that we see so much hope in them. But today, across churches that are participating, is, is a dedicated day and time to pray for the persecuted church around the world. For those that are not just anxiety-ridden, but those that are being murdered and, and imprisoned unjustly who are dying and their homes are, are being burnt down. According to the World Watch list, this past year, they estimate that 340 million living souls are living in areas of high level of persecution. 4,761 this past year were murdered for their faith in Christ. 
4,488 church buildings and churches were attacked or burnt down because of their faithfulness to the gospel. 4,277 were unjustly detained, tried, and sentenced without any type of court hearing or response, but solely because of their belief in the gospel and their willingness to live unashamedly before it. One in eight, one in eight in our world are unjustly persecuted for the sake of the gospel. North Korea being the primary offender out of all those, but places like China and Turkey and others that that do similar things. And so we as a church want to be a church that's for our city, but we want to be a church that's for the nations too, to care about the nations, to get our attention to the nations, to be devoted to seeing the gospel brought forth to the uttermost parts of the world. So we're going to end in a time of prayer, an altar call, and we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray that these countries that persecute these Christians, first and foremost, would begin a shift to openly embrace what's known as just religious freedom. That you can't tell me how I have to worship, and I can't tell you how you must worship. That we will worship freely and let God be able to move and to work. And we want these countries to embrace this idea that we get to experience here in our country. But we want to pray for for those that would persecute. And we want to pray that that God would reveal himself to them. They would come to know Christ, just like Paul came to know Christ. We want these folks who are living in these countries to just simply have access to the Word of God, to be able to read it and to know it and understand it, And then lastly, we want to ask that God would use this persecution to grow his church, to make much of his name. I believe that many of this and God's sovereign plan, it's wrapped up, he teaches, in the prayers of his people. And God calling his people to pray for the things that God wants to see happen, to burden us for those things. And so if you're here today, Maybe you come down to this altar in a moment and you are just laying your anxiety and your emotions before the Lord and you just sit there and dwell there and ask God to come meet you where you are. But as he begins to heal and to change, I would ask that you begin to pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world that are legitimately persecuted for the name of Jesus and the four to 5,000 this year that will give their lives. They will give their lives so that others may know him. What are you giving your attention to today? I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to join me down at this altar as we pray and respond as the Lord leads us. Father in heaven, you're good. You care about us. We know that we are loved deeply by you. And so we pray now that you would speak into our lives, enlarge our vision of who you are, remind us of how much you care for us deeply, and that we would cast our cares upon you, especially in the midst of trouble. So Father, help us make much of your name in these next few moments, we pray in Christ's name. God's people said, amen.